Hello and welcome to CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Crown Cigars and Ales here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm the Smoke Master General, Trey Debb, and I'm joined as I am every week by Mr. Shane Reeves. You know, it's just such a great time of year, even though it's getting dark earlier. It's nice because you just... You know the evening's coming. Yeah. We have gotten back to a point where we're recording in a cave, it feels like. Yeah, it is dark in here, and also you'll hear us making several attempts at cutting our cigar. Right. (laughs) Just watch out for your fingers. I want to take this time. I'm glad you brought up the time change and the changing of seasons and the weather. I want to to issue a PSA, because this is something that bothers me way more than it should. Not you. I, no, no, no. I'd like, there, are, there are a few hills I'm willing to die on. This isn't one of those, <laughs> but this is one of those like little bits of pedanticness that I can't overcome. I have seen so many people the last week, um, or so far this week, talk about how they hate daylight saving time and we should abolish it because it's ridiculous that it's getting dark so early. Okay, Daylight saving time is March through November. Right. This is normal time. This is called winter. It naturally gets dark early. <laughs> this as, is as a rule of life, it is easier to complain than it is to talk about how something works well. Right. And the time change is just something people universally start complaining about. I love the time change. I love the shift. I love that, you know, okay, it is now cool enough at night that I can have fires, so it's getting dark right. a little bit earlier. Get out there. By the way, if you don't own a solo stove, buy one. They're wonderful. I'm, I, that may be on my list this year. I, I've, I've avoided it to this point, but I think I may have to break down and get one. One of the few products that stands up to its advertising. Yeah. I mean, absolutely just one of my favorite things that I own. It's a little... Um, you know, it's a engineered fire pit is what it is. My, my dad has one. And I was really surprised by the amount of heat it puts off. You would think the high walls, the engineering, they would, that it would kind of be more for looks than for function. But no, it puts off some heat. Oh, it puts, and it burns less wood because it burns it more thoroughly. You have less ash. You don't have chunks in your ash. I mean, yeah. it's just a great product. Yeah. If you don't own a solo stove, I mean, they're a little pricey. But well worth the Your, money. Yours is the large one, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think I paid about 300 for mine. You know, anybody who's bought a, a wood-burning fire pit recently sure. will tell you that, now, is it as cheap as building one out of pavers in your backyard? No. But that's it's really not that much more expensive than what you pay for one. No. And it's, it's absolutely wonderful if you don't have one. Just something great to sit out and smoke your cigars by. But speaking of which, what are you smoking this week? You know what? I went back to an oldie and a goodie. Uh, this is the ADN from La Aurora. I haven't smoked one of these in a long time. Well, you kind of got burned on them because of the draw issues. Yeah, and I'm I'm wondering. I, I noticed in the humidor that the there's a, a relatively brand new box, and there's some dust on the cellophane in there. And I'm wondering if enough people have been burned by that that maybe it started starting to affect how fast they're moving. Because there was a time when he couldn't keep them in here. They've also underwent a price increase. Yeah, I've, I've, I noticed that as well. Um, but the thing is, at most shops across the country, it's still under $10. Sure. So, um, and some sizes even under 8 So it's... It's one of those things that, yeah, like, I definitely, before I pick one of these up, I have to squeeze a few and see which ones are going to be rolled tighter than, right. you know. But um, but when you get one that, that draws well, it is such a good cigar. It's a great cigar. It's a great blend. And once they overcome these kind of manufacturing things that they got going on with it. And, you know, the funny thing is, you know, we know some people. We know a couple of people at La Aurora. We used to know a few more. And... I've never brought that concern up to any of them. And I'm wondering how much of problems like this that persist are because this community is so tight. You know, not only did we know people from Miami Cigar and La Aurora, we were friends with them, still am friends with those people. And it kind of felt like a little bit of a jerk move to bring up a problem with their product. On the one hand, you know they want to hear it. But on the other hand, I don't want to be that guy. And I wonder how much that happens. Uh, Well... Some, you know, it's exactly what we talked about at the head of the show. Some people are going to complain if you hung them with a new rope. 
you know, it's you don't want to be that guy. But if you do it judiciously and only complain when it really matters, then it's okay. But that cigar is a great example of just a wonderful, wonderful stick every time. And uh, I'm smoking a Miami product. Oh, interesting. And uh, I'm smoking the Don Lino Maduro. I hadn't smoked it on the show yet. And I came here today and I said, you know, that's what I'm in the mood for. I've only smoked one of those. Uh, unfortunately, I had some of the same draw problems uh, that uh, that tend to plague La Aurora and Miami cigars uh, for me. Um, but flavor-wise, it's really... I'm sorry, well, I was filling time the, oh, to let no, you light okay. it. You were trying to get to this it. This is a Dominican Dominican cigar, an all-Dominican binder and filler, and it's got a Mexican San Andreas wrapper on it. So just a really good cigar. Yeah, you didn't have a great experience with the first one, and this will actually be the first one in the Toro that I've smoked. Most of what I've smoked have been the Grand Toro. Right. So, and it's, I just, I tell you, I'm getting further and further away from the 6x60 cigar. Our little boys are all growing up. So, I, I, in all of my excitement, I actually forgot to go through the rundown on this. I know we've talked about it on the show before, but uh, the big party piece for the ADN is the Anduyo tobacco, which is basically they ferment it by wrapping large, wrapping them up into large pods and then and putting them in the ground to ferment. But uh, the cigar itself is Dominican leaf uh, wrapper, Cameroon binder, and then filler from Pennsylvania and Nicaragua, as well as that full leaf of Anduyo from the Dominican. Just a, just a great smoke. Yeah. All around great smoke. I probably don't smoke as many of them as I should. Um, probably should get a little more regular into my rotation, but that's kind of a better occasional cigar for me than it is an everyday cigar. But there was a time when this was an everyday cigar. When it first came out, you were smoking these just about daily. Yeah, and it came out slightly before the Africa. And I think when the Africa came out, it kind of took over that everyday smoke role. Yeah, I for get me. that. So, first article from Half Wheel. Jetlines, the new Judge V-Cutter, arrives in store. Oh, I had these in a different order. Okay, we'll hit that one first. Yes. Um, okay, so I, I, this came across my news feed on Facebook earlier today, or yesterday, I think it was. And so I love the Calibri V-Cut, right? We've talked about it on the show. It's a perfect lighter. There's nothing wrong about it. And I really like... so. Jetlines uh, basically recreated it. it. It's very similar, two-tone, um, with kind of a plastic middle and colored metal accents. They've got kind of a brush copper look, to which that one I really like. And the other one is just kind of a red paint. My, The reason I wanted to bring this up, though, is... Okay, Jetline is kind of renowned and known in the industry for their inexpensive lighters, right? So, so... Uh, Supposedly, I'm guessing, somebody at Jetline headquarters saw the Calibri V-Cut, took 10 years to design an exact knockoff, and then charge an extra $30 a piece for it. But it will cut up to a 70 ring gauge. Because that is the one place that the Calibri V-Cut fails is with the much larger ring gauge cigars. Okay. So I think they're trying to fill a gap in the market here. It's hard to tell from the scale, with the because all we have is the press release photo mm-hmm. and it looks so it was hard to tell hard to tell the, the scale of it from there because i think the calibri on paper it says 58 it'll cut a 60 it'll cut a 60 it won't cut it as deep you know so this one they're making it to cut a 70 ring gauge also you squeeze the sides as opposed to push the button and hey everybody out there don't look at me like I'm like you're a monkey trying to figure out a math problem when i hand you a cutter push a few buttons fling a right. few levers I always hand people cutters, and they look at me like it's the first cutter they've ever seen in their life. My fa- the one that I see most often is them trying to push the button into the body of the cutter rather than slide it down. So, I, I mean, I, I can understand. The, my favorite, though, is, when I, um, is when, I, when I hand someone my Julius, and they just absolutely cannot figure out how to light a flint lighter. Luckily, we've got all the guys in here trained. Right. Well... I even I don't complain when I hand them my my touch screen lighter. Right. I just hand it to them, say flip it, flip it open, touch the screen. Don't burn your hand. And all because for some reason somebody will flip it open with one hand and then touch the screen with the other and roast right. their thumb. I don't know why. I don't know what that. You know where the flame's going to come out, right? Right. <laughs> exactly. 
But yeah, I understand why they did this. They they didn't feel the need to reinvent the wheel. <laughs> but I, if I was Calibri, I might have a word with them. Yeah, I, I think you might. I but guess now, is Jetline and Calibri aren't they? Don't they share a company or aren't they close? No. no. Oh, okay, I thought they were somehow related. No, you're thinking of Firebird. Okay, that's what I was thinking yeah. of. Um, yeah, I, I actually I do like the squeeze open. I, I will admit that I do like that. But when I saw that with the Jetline logo, at first I had to do a double take because it looks so similar. So how is this next cutter we're talking about pronounced? Uh, Le Fin Lama. Le Fin Lama adds three new series for the La Petite Cutter. So this is basically the cigar cutter that looks like a pocket knife and a razor blade had an ugly baby. If we, we've talked about this, I don't know if we've talked about it on the show or not, but we, you and I have talked about if either one of us ever wins the lottery, like we'll, you'll never know. You know, we'll just do it quietly, kind of mm-hmm. handle our business. If I show up here with one of these, that's how you'll know. <laughs> that's how I'll know you that, won that the lottery. Is, that is the only way you will know that I won the lottery. Is if, is if I show up to the cigar shop with one of those. That, this is one of those. This is a cutter that I've since they first were released, however many years ago. I've always thought they were gorgeous. I've wanted one. Uh, I've known some people who have owned them. They say that the action on it is perfect. That it's just the best functioning cutter they've ever used. But at one hundred and fifty nine dollars, I don't know that I'm paying that for a cutter. I wouldn't mind paying that for a cutter if I knew it was going to cut well. And by all by all accounts, this one does. I'm concerned about controlling my cut with this one. You know, the good thing about the Zycar is it's such an encapsulated space. You can control your cut very easily with it. This one, it's kind of just a notch in the handle. Yeah, but think about how... Now, you one of your hobbies is keeping your knife sharp. Absolutely. I mean, that I would go so far as to call that a hobby of yours. So imagine if you had a cigar cutter that you could always keep. I'm going to say the term razor sharp, even though I know that you don't do that. Right. Um, you know, it's just, it. I, I've known a couple of people who've owned them, and they say that it is just the best operating cutter they've ever used. I, I, would, I wouldn't mind paying that for one. You know, I don't like, so the andonized aluminum handles, are 159 each. The camo series, which I'd never own a camo cutter because I'd drop it and not be able to find it. And I'm just not big on the camo motif. It just no. doesn't do anything for me. And then, of course, the um, Bajorkman's Dam- Dama Steel Twist Metal Bladed 18 karat gold with the leather sheath is $790. Right. Now, that's lottery money cutter there. <laughs> yeah, and I will say that the anodized aluminum at 159 when they first hit the market, they they and they still make uh, real wood handled, and those I think are up in about the three fifty five hundred dollar range. A lot of them, but I don't know. I would like to find somebody that owns one of these and try it out before I make, before I take the plunger. Get it, find a store that's selling them and you know test drive one. They should have a tester or something. Yeah. I, I would want to see what my control would be like. I, so we were in here a couple of months ago. We finished recording, and the owner or the the figurehead of was it Red Horse Knives? Uh-huh. This uh, the action and the the strength of the blade and the sharpness that they had. If they were to do something like this, I I would be all over that. I think oh, it would, it would cost eight hundred dollars, but oh, it would, yeah. You know, and that's the thing. the 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 red horse one that he had there was beautiful, but I'm just I just not in this part in my life where I'm gonna pay three hundred and something dollars for a cutter. Yeah, that's why I say it's a lottery thing for me. Yeah, it's just it's absolutely one of those things that I don't know that I would ever actually pay for. But moving forward, so I've seen the first of the Ferio Tagos coming into the market, the timeless, the Nat Sherman re-releases, right. I've seen the first of those. My headphones have quit working, so that's why I'm, if I'm speaking too loudly. Nope, you're good. <laughs> They've come on the market, but the MSRP on them at the particular store I was at was like 17 bucks. I would never pay that for a time. Where were you? I was at Big Boys. Oh. And, I'll, and now they're talking about, so the, the cigar we're talking about is the Fierio, Ferio Tego Timeless Panamericana Timeless Supreme Returning to the Shelves. 
And it says here five by fifty, thirteen dollars, twelve ninety five. But I don't know if you're re-releasing Nat Sherman products, shouldn't you be close to Nat Sherman prices? Well, that's not far from what they were. I mean, if the if they had stayed on the shelves all this time, that's probably the price point they would be at. I mean, they were at ten dollars to begin, ten eleven dollars to begin with. But if you're relaunching a brand that basically went out on a sour note, do you really want to come in, or do you want to come in a little low and maybe get a following first? Well, if you give look, somebody a reason to try them, yeah. But if you look down at the Timeless Supreme, that is more what you're looking at, or what you're talking about. The five by fifty four at ten fifty, the six by fifty two at eleven fifty, seven by fifty at eleven dollars. So. There's still that's just a the next the one you're looking at is the Panamericana is the next in the line. That's kind of I, I wouldn't go as so far as to call it a, a limited release, but it's kind of their their new show pony. Well, I just I don't know. I just think you're pricing on those. I need a reason to buy that cigar. Um and the I didn't care for the timeless enough that that's enough reason for me to buy that cigar? I mean, that's, that, that's fair. It is, at least, at least the ones that I smoked back in the day, it, it had a very Nat Sherman flavor to it. You know, it's very tobacco-flavored. You know, it's, it's old-world cigar flavor. And I guess if you're not looking for that, then it might put you off. Yeah, it just didn't um, just didn't really hit me great. And uh, they're made at the Placencia factory, which Placencia is making everything now. I think they're trying to become the new AJ Fernandez. Or the uh, <laughs> who was it? The they'll tighten to bronze for a while. Yeah, seems like these factories kind of come and go of different. You know, trying to make a bunch of cigars for different. Although I've got to say, the stuff coming out of the Placencia factory is phenomenal. Oh, they're doing a great job, and this tighten to bronze stuff's always done a great job. Right. And I think that's really nice, but I don't know. I just I feel like that they're coming into this market with a head of steam that they don't necessarily des- deserve. <laughs> is is that biased of me because I, I'm still mad at Nat Sherman? I think it absolutely is. Probably has a lot to do with it. I, I can be honest enough about myself. So Oliva's advent calendar heads to stores. I actually seen a post today where somebody had already got these in. I saw that, too. And all where the cigar room down in Madison and Florence had already got these in. And I'm sure they sell out pretty quick because, I mean, you're talking about 24 cigars for $200. Yeah. Where else are you going to get that kind of... And especially we know that Olivas are good cigars. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna be good cigars. Now, there's, um, there's only three nubs or four nubs in this. There's five canes, four nubs, and the rest are straight-up Olivas. And um, they only did 10,000 of these samplers, but we've been talking about this advent calendar for cigars for a while now. We have. I've got a couple of complaints, as I'm sure you knew I would, because I love this idea. We've talked about it on the show. I love the idea of the cigar advent calendar. Number one, my complaint is there are no dates on any of those. You know, an advent calendar is supposed to be numbered 1 through 24. Or 25, depending. Yeah, one would think. Yeah, there are no dates or no numbers associated, so it's kind of a free-for-all. I don't like that. You, I, I shouldn't, unless, is that a perforated, did they open this one up? I think they opened this one up because okay. there's a perforated, perforated edge there on okay. that. Yeah. We'd have I, to find another picture. I just noticed that. I was going to say, yeah, because the whole idea is you don't know what you're smoking until you open it. I would be really disappointed if I got, you know, the master blend on the third, though. I would want that to be kind of towards the end and build to it. My other is I just, I don't like the way they packaged it. I feel like they could have gotten so much more creative. I feel like there was a, I just, I don't feel like it presents well. I feel like it's taking, it takes up a lot of, um, a lot of space in the humidor. Yeah. And it just doesn't, it doesn't do anything for me. This was an opportunity to be the first one to bring this to market. You know, you have an opportunity to be really creative with your packaging. You know, make it in the shape of a Christmas tree. I don't know. But, yeah, there were definitely some opportunities missed here, I think, with with the packaging. Well, and I don't want to smoke an Oliva every day in December. I could. See, I, well, I, it won't never be bad, 
but it won't never be great. It won't never knock your socks off. I mean, that's that's fair. But I, I've got to say, though, you get four different sizes of the Serie V Milano, which is an excellent, excellent cigar. And you do get the Master Blend. So, I mean, those are, out of the 24, those are five really, really good cigars. And, in fact, the Gilberto Reserva is really good. Uh, you know, there are so... And, and the Cane Daytona, the Cane F, and the Cane Habano are really full-flavored cigars. So it's it's not just catering to a generic palate. Like, there's something in here for everybody. There is, and it's a good idea. You know, Tatawahe was the original person that come out with this, and then they ended up delaying theirs till 2022. So Oliva has... I wonder if Oliva was developing this at the same time that they were. Oh, you know they were. Had to be something along those lines, just a, a not really one person stealing from another, just parallel thought. Right, and you see that, like you see that in movies a lot, right? Where you know a Bug's Life and Ants come out within six months of each other, but these are animated films that take two and a half years to produce. It's, yeah, it's weird the way Universal. Uh, thought processes align without any overlap. Well, some stuff just makes sense. And the cigar advent calendar does just make it sense. It really does. So I can I can get behind this. I don't think I'll be rushing out to buy one. Um don't I don't I just don't think that's two hundred dollars I would drop. I, I pro it it's tough for me because I'm not a big fan of the nub series and I'm actually not a huge fan of the canes. So I'm looking at the rest of, you know, and you kind of have to, if you know what's in it, just not what order, you do have to kind of weigh that out. <laughs> well, you're opening each day. Come on, come on, Melanio. Come well, on, Melanio, Melanio. <laughs> well, now I have a picture, so so I'm just going to open whichever day. I'm oh, well, you have to throw the picture away and do it honestly and open number one, number two, number three, all the way to 24. Uh, I'll just <laughs> tape them back on, on the, on, on the days that I want to smoke the cigars I want to smoke. So, from Cigar Aficionado, Las Vegas Big Smoke Seminars, the Winner's Circle. So, this was interesting. They, t they had the Big Smoke in Vegas for the first time, and I guess it's been two years? Yeah. They didn't do it in, I don't think they did it in 19 or 20. They did it in 19. Did they do it in 19? For some yeah. reason, I thought it did. And uh, But they basically talked to Lito Gomez and Rafael Nadal and Corey Bappert about what it meant to win number one cigar of the year in the aficionado rankings. And for all the flack we give it, we got to be honest, it is the standard. It is. It absolutely is. You know, no one, when, when someone tells you that a particular cigar was rated 96, you know they're talking about aficionado rated at 96. But aficionado rates everything so high that really, when somebody says, oh, this is a 96 or a 92, it don't matter to me. It's got to be, okay, this was number eight, or this was number six. Then, then it means something to right. me. And uh, Aficionado, you know, I've, have you ever seen a cigar rated less than 85 from Aficionado? Uh, I don't think I have, no. I don't either. I, don't, I definitely never seen nothing in the 70s. Well, and it makes me wonder, you know, because we rarely rate cigars below four here. And I would say that's kind of a similar scale. And we're a lot less picky about the cigars that we're willing to sample on this show, with the exception of that key lime pie one I brought from Key West. Just to torture me. Just to, well, I torture myself as well, so there's that. <laughs> uh, yeah, with the exception of that, you know, we're not really, you know, we're not really picky. We'll smoke a little bit of anything. Whereas aficionado, they're really only smoking stuff that deserves its place in your brick-and-mortar's humidor. Plus, aficionado, they've got, they've got ad space to sell. They do. They can't alienate somebody. You know, if the worst Padron ever comes out and they give it a 70, how much money are they losing? Yeah, exactly. So I can understand. I understand you got a business to run here. You do have to do that. But I would like to see something come out at a 75 just to know... Just to know it was there. I would definitely smoke it if it was a 75, just because I'd want to know how they could find one that poorly. Yeah. And uh, But anyway, at this seminar, they were talking about what it meant to win. You know, the Andalusian Bull won number one. The Aging Room won number one. The um, uh, Milanio. Milanio. You know, some of these that have won number one. I think back to my when I first started smoking cigars when the Casa Magna Colorado Robusto 
won number one cigar of the year. Yeah. And you couldn't get them anywhere. And by the time they caught up production to demand, the cigars were no longer as good as they were when they were number one. Right. And that does happen. We see that quite often. You know, when starting a business, the worst thing that can happen is no business. And the second worst thing that can happen is too much business. So if you're a small cigar producer and all of a sudden, you know, who had heard of Casa Magna before number one, before it came out number one in Aficionado? You know, had you you'd been in the cigar in business longer than I had. Had you ever heard of Casa Magna prior to it being released? I had, but that was because I was decent friends with the rep for that brand. Okay. But it seems like it's never been as good as they were before they won number one. No, that's, I, but I haven't smoked one in a very long time, so I can't really speak with much authority on that. I smoked one about two months ago, and it was it was good, not great. Yeah, but was it the same one that one cigar? Yeah, it was like it was the Colorado Robusto. Okay, and all, and it was not bad, but it it was not as good as I would think a number one cigar would be. Right. And universally, that was it. And they they talk about the difficulties in getting them out to all the different suppliers, all the different brick and mortars that want these cigars. The Andalusian Bull had the advantage of being a higher price cigar in a box of 10. Right. So a little easier to distribute a box of 10 out than it is to distribute a box of 25. It is, but when you're LFD and you're already known for your your propensity for back orders, I can imagine how much stress that must have been. He even talks about, Gomez in in the interview talks about how immediately he had to order more cigar molds, trade more rollers, even get more boxes. I called the box manufacturer and I said, I need 20,000 boxes. He said, what? Six months later, he's ordering another 20,000. I mean, all of a sudden you have to ramp up production. And as we know, you can't rush tobacco. Yeah. When you ramp up production, quality will suffer if you're not very, very careful. Right. And it, it's just an interesting article just from that perspective. A little self-aggrandizing for aficionado, but I'm okay with that. Like I said, they got ads to sell. Right. So, Madonlino Maduro's drawing well, smoking well. Um, I love the San Andreas wrapper. This is one of the... If I was blindfolded, I wouldn't pick this out as San Andreas. Okay. This is one of the milder San Andreas wrappers, and I guess it may have to do with the Dominican being under it, because usually when I'm smoking a San Andreas, there's a Nicaraguan tobacco under it. Oftentimes, yeah. Yeah, that tends to bring it out a little more to the front forefront. So this is a little less San Andreas, but really enjoyable, just a smooth smoke. Um, The color and all, and it being labeled Maduro, people would call it full. It's kind of medium full at best for me. That's what I would give it as well. And uh, what are you thinking about the DNA? Oh, I I got one that's drawing really well. Um, You know, one of the things that I love about Dominican tobacco, but Anduyo in particular, is how savory it is. And it really causes you to salivate. You know, you talk about San Andreas and Nicaraguan tobaccos. They really do have a tendency to dry your mouth out. I'm not getting that from this at all. In fact, it's quite the opposite. And and I just, I love the mouthfeel from this cigar. So when you're groping a cigar in the humidor, trying to determine if it's going to draw or not, how do you determine that? I'm curious, because I have kind of my own set of rules about that as well. Basically, if I were to try and put it into words, I would say if it's acceptable for fruit, it's not acceptable for a cigar and vice versa. So if if I squeeze a lemon, and it's and and it's a, a somewhat rotten or overripe lemon, it's got a lot of give to it. That's a good cigar. Yes, but you run the risk of grabbing one that's over humidified. So you kind of, as you grab it and squeeze it, you've kind of got to have a feel for what the humidity in that cigar is going to be. Well, most of the time, if you're buying your cigars from a reputable shop that has a well-maintained humidor, and I know that it's a box that didn't just come in off the truck that day, right? I can be fairly well assured that that's not going to be an issue. Yeah, you don't want it. It's you don't want it too firm, but you don't want it too soft, right? And if it's if it's too firm but still has a little give, you're probably okay. It's probably just a little dry. Could be. Um, but if it's real, real soft, I think you're you're 
fruit analogy is probably accurate. It's it's probably closer to judging the ripeness of an avocado than to that of a lemon. Well, per- perhaps, but a little lemon. more temperamental. A lemon's got a little more range than an avocado. It, it does. So, yeah, very, very close there. But we're going to step away for a break. When we come back, I want to talk about the new Villager factory. I'm very impressed with the fact that they got that built. I uh, want to talk about the punch collaborating with Cigar City Brewing and why I'm a cigar snob and more. All right, we'll be back with that more after this. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from the man that has a pen that writes underwater, but it also writes other words too, Mr. Trey Denman. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and all the, the, the dad joke library. <laughs> oh, I, dad jokes are the best. That's been one of the fun things about Emma really starting to learn her sense of humor is that as much as she groans whenever I make a dad joke, like that's her bread and butter. And right. she can almost out-dad joke me. Well, jokes, the good thing about dad jokes is they're kind of one-liners you can get in and out pretty quick. So you kind of rip the Band-Aid off. If it's not that good a joke, you can hit it and hit it and quit it, right. for lack of a better word. And that, that's important because there's nothing worse than the guy that goes to tell a joke and it's a long, involved joke because I, the payoff of the joke better be directly proportionate to the length of the joke. Yes. And I'll, you, I can have a short payoff for a short joke, but if you take five minutes of my life, I really expect a good payoff. <laughs> Remind me before I leave after the show to tell you a really funny story about, <laughs> about exactly that. So Villiger opens a brand new factory in Esteli. After only 12 months of construction, can you imagine building an entire factory in 12 months in the United States? In this climate? In any climate. No, but I mean, especially right now, it's taken how long to build our house? Oh, it's, And that's just a 2,000 square foot house. It's, it's ridiculous. And I can't imagine that if I wanted to build a cigar factory here and I had all the money in the world to spend, I don't think I could do it in 12 months. No. I don't think I could grease enough politicians to get it built in that length of time. Well, I think some of that is, uh, some of that's going to come down to the fact that it's tobacco in this country and and how much that's. Uh, but I bet you could do it in Ebor City. Um, possibly, you know, possibly I, could. But yeah. also, you know, you're talking but you'd about you have to overpay a lot of contractors to get them off of because of, they're all booked out two years right now. Well, this project was a joint venture between Villiger and Hoya de Nicaragua, and that's probably what helped a lot. I'm sure. Hoya knows how to build a factory. They use new type of insulation. I mean, it's just a beautiful, beautiful factory. It really is. The way they've got this built, it's not a huge factory. And I'll... Um, 1,500 square meters. Yeah, how many square feet is 1,500 square meters? Uh, multiply by three. About three, so, so 4,500. 4, about 4,500, 5,000 square foot. A hundred qualified employees were entrusted with various tasks. They're going to produce the La Meridiana, Senadoro, La Vencedoro, La Libertad, Casa de Nicaragua, and Corita, among others. So is Villiger ramping up to make a big press in the market? They might be. You know, Villiger is an unsung hero in the, in the humidor. I really like their stuff. It's not a common cigar brand you see in the U.S., really. But they really do make a great cigar. Have they not been machine-made for a very long time? No. So they do make a couple of machine-made offerings. Uh, in fact, I gave you one many years ago. Right. And, uh, but, but overall, they are sort of more known for their hand-rolled premium cigars. Yeah. And I, th- and I think that's what they're getting ready to do is take advantage of the fact, you know, cigar sales are still up. Every week as I pile through looking for cigar articles, there's always something from convenience store news or, oh, yeah. you know, whatever whatever outlet talking about cigar, cigar sales are still up. Yeah. And all amongst this time. So, yeah, I can, I can kind of see that. 
and all, but just beautiful factory built there. I'll be interested to see if Hoya and Villiger co- collaborate on some cigars. I think that could be uh, really fun seeing what they do together. Well, if Villiger wanted to get a foothold in the market, that would be their best way to do it, would be to collaborate with Hoya on one yeah. and kind of get it out through those distribution channels that Hoya and Drew Estate have. Well, it's funny. I'll never forget when I was working at Wiseash in Atlanta, we had uh, a handful of facings, probably half a dozen facings of Villiger. It just weren't moving. And so the owner of the shop threw them in the discount bin, and they sold out immediately. And people asked, or, or he, didn't, he didn't exactly have a bin. He just put them on closeout on the shelf. And a bunch of people started with like, oh, my gosh, I never even knew about this cigar. And he ended up bringing them back. Because he renewed the interest. Because it, it was just one of those things you had to create a little bit of buzz about it. Well, you think about Caldwell Cigar. Before Caldwell Cigar did the um, All Hell, Hell to the King or whatever collaboration with Drew Estate, you didn't really see a lot of cl- a lot of Caldwell. Right. But once they did that collaboration with Drew Estate, people started branching out and trying the Blind Man's Bluff and the Long right. Live the King and found them to be good cigars. So I think Villiger is kind of ramping up for something like that. I think it's a pretty good, pretty good model. Now to what I don't think is a pretty good model. <laughs> Speaking of collaborations, so. though. Yeah, Brewbound.com. And this is Punch Collaborates with Cigar City Brewing for National Cigar Release. Now, Cigar City Brewing, they're a big deal, aren't they? They are. Seems like they come up more and more often. And, and it may be just because I search cigar news when I search. It could be. But Cigar City Brewing, they, they seem to be doing that. So Punch and Cigar City Brewing have teamed up to create a duo of medium-bodied smokes called Cigar City Brewing Maduro by Punch. A little bit long on the name. Yeah. Could have gotten a bit more creative. But rather than selling them in brick and mortars, they're going to be selling them at liquor stores. Now, this is a common thing, at least around here, and I imagine it must be sort of across the country, is a lot of liquor stores are, have been putting humidors in. You know, not to get too much into Tennessee state politics, but for a very long time, uh, liquor stores couldn't sell beer, and, and beer store and liquor stores, or liquor could only be sold in liquor stores. Yeah, there's always been a whole book of really dumb laws around sin products in Tennessee. Right. And so they would you would often find a beer store right next to a liquor store because the beer store could sell beer and mixers and ice and things. You couldn't even sell ice at a liquor store. It was only high-proof alcohol that was allowed. Well, you know, I've, I've never been a strip club guy, but when I was 18 and everybody that's 18 wants to go to a strip club, went in and the first thing they said is, well, it's BYOB. They couldn't sell liquor at a strip club. Right. And all. It was one of those silly Nashville ordinances. Yeah. And, I, and I've never understood how does any of that actually help anybody. It's just kind of like, we'll let you do it, but we want to get our licks in. Yeah. It, it, it's strange. But now that after, I think it was about five years ago, the laws changed, and so now there no longer has to be a, a permanent, you know, firewall between the two. You can you can actually go from one side of the store to the other now, and as a result of that, you're seeing a lot of humidors inside liquor stores. Oh, yeah. So these will be handmade at the Hatsa factory in Denali, Honduras, or Donley, Honduras, and it's a Honduran Puro made with Honduran Habano Maduro wrapper. Honduran Habano binder and a combination of Habano fillers. I can't imagine that's going to be all that great. You know, Honduran tobacco by itself is, to me, not a good enough tobacco. I mean, there's some good Honduran blends, but just putting it out there by itself, I don't know that it's going to stand up. it's, It's green beans. Honduran tobacco is green beans. I like it, but that's not the whole meal. It right. needs to accompany something else. Yeah, you know, an Ecuadorian wrapper, a Honduran filler, things like that can really come together and make a good cigar. But just a Honduran puro, you know, when we've went down to Honduras on cruises and things like that, there'll be somebody there at um, Rotan rolling cigars. And I rarely ever buy one because it is just a local Honduran puro, and it's just not that good a stick. Yeah. 
Historically, I, I, there'll be somebody on the boat with one, and I'm like, oh, I can smell that from here. I, I do think we are a little spoiled with the access to really good cigars in this country. Yeah, the premium cigar market in this country is so strong, and we talk about it all the time. You can't just be good. So this may be something Punch is exploring. They may say, okay, what if instead of appealing to the cigar connoisseur, we appeal to the guy that is, you know, buying a bottle of liquor and would like to pick up a couple of cigars to go with it. Right. And, uh, I mean, price is not bad. Um, the Magnum five and a quarter by fifty four is eight twenty nine. The Toro is eight forty nine. So the pricing is not bad, and I think that fits in with the target market. I mean, you're not going to sell Padrones at the liquor store, and Cigar City Brewing's name being on it probably is going to help a lot. I would think so for sure because they have done some pretty amazing things with with cigars. Yeah, I mean with beers. So okay, I can get behind that. So, from the Los Angeles Times, I almost never go to Los Angeles Times for anything. And this week, Dean Stockwell passed away. One of the more iconic cigar guys that kind of flew under the radar. You know, Dean Stockwell, when you tell people who, when you try to tell people who he was, you kind of have to name some of the roles he's been in. He was one of those actors that was such a master of the craft, but was kind of in everything. Right. You know, he was the bad guy in a lot of the A-Team episodes. His biggest role was in Quantum Leap. He was the guy that was the always admiral. with Scott. Yeah, the admiral that was always there with Scott Bakula. And, uh, and they talk about he always had a cigar with him. And just a consummate cigar guy. I, don't, I didn't want to mention it for long, but I did want to bring up that it, a great cigar guy had passed on. Were you a Quantum Leap fan? Because I thought about you when I read this earlier this week. Uh, about half and half. Okay. About half and half. I'd watch it if it was on, but it wasn't necessarily appointment viewing. And I think Quantum Leap suffered from being in a time without DVR. If I had had DVR during Quantum Leap times, I probably would have watched everything on it. I I can get behind that. That makes sense. You know, there's a lot of shows. You know, you remember, you have to go back in time and remember the times when if you missed a show, you could have missed it forever. Right. You know, that was you know, the old joke about, you know, the grandmother saying, I can't miss my stories, you know, about because daytime soaps is one of those. If you miss one day, you're completely lost. And wait, I thought he was the twin, or, you know, and Quantum Leap was one of those very progressive shows where, yeah, the story was told over multiple episodes. And we used to not have a lot of that. For that very reason, because you didn't want people to check out if they had to go to a dance recital during one week's episode. Well, and the good thing about Quantum Leap, they never got too far into the weeds of the sci-fi side of it. It was always more of a people story. That was something I thought SG-1 did really well. It yeah. was it was a Western, essentially, that yeah. happened around you know some sci-fi themes. And I think Quantum did that really well, too. I've always said that about Star Wars. Star Wars was just a space Western. I'm going back and re-watching all of the Star Wars movies right now. Oh, uh, see, I've, I watched the first three, and that's really all I care for. Yeah? And I'll watch... The original three. The original three. I'll watch Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, and I'm done. You know, Phantom Menace is not as bad as you remember it. It couldn't be, <laughs> but that the you know the 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 mid three are by far the worst, and I've not watched any of the new ones. Really? Yeah, and I, I've not watched any of the new ones, and I've not watched any of the new James Bond movies. I think I just at certain point get off board. I've never watched a Daniel Daniel Craig James Bond. You're movie. You're really missing out. It, it comes back to life. <clears throat> but anyway, Dean Stockwell passed away at age 85. He's been TV star forever. And if you've seen his face, you would recognize immediately who it was. And I just wanted to touch on that. So, something near and dear to my heart. Carnival Cruise Line returns to Tampa and not announces first ship to depart. Now, I cruise Carnival. Right. And I will say, Carnival is the Walmart of the cruise world. It's not going to be the elaborate, you know, it's the, quote, booze cruise type. But if you know how to enjoy a cruise, you can get on a cruise very inexpensively and really enjoy yourself on Carnival. Right. I've always found the food on Carnival cruises to be a little lackluster has been my biggest complaint. But they, they're they the biggest, they're 
they may not be, but I feel like they're probably one of the biggest cruise lines in the world. So they've got great access to ports. They go anywhere you want to go. Yeah, and they're bringing the Pride in. I need to look up the Pride because the Fantasy sailed out of Tampa for many years, and I always enjoyed selling on the Fantasy. And then the Fantasy started selling out of Mobile, so I've not looked at the Pride. I don't know how many people the Pride holds. Mobile is a great place to sell out of, though, if Mobile you've never done it. Mobile is the best cruise port to sell out of, bar none. Huge multi-story car park. You, you set it and forget it. You walk right across the transom into the office, and you're on the boat. The Carnival is the only cruise line there. It's easy in, easy out. They've got it down to a science. Um, most of the cruises I take, and when I get back to cruising, probably will go into Mobile. Now, I do want to bring this up because the CDC has issued a Level 3 health no- travel health notice. So that's like right below Level 4, the worst you can be for that. At what point does the CDC let this go? At what point can well, we... No, I think this is, I, I think this is valid. I, I don't think this falls into the bucket of fear-mongering. Because the thing is, COVID numbers are still high. It's still out there. It's still a thing. We, yes, we have a vaccine to combat it. Yes, we have protocols and things. But if you think about the wall-to-wall people on a cruise, the tight quarters, the, the fact that you're contained on the boat, like... This is all of the perfect scenario for easy transmission of this one particular virus. So I think this is... No, I think if I had to slap a label on cruise travel in this environment, I would say level three is about right. Now, if they were calling it a level four, which is basically don't get on a cruise unless you expect to get it, I would say that might be a little much. Yeah, and but what, what, would, what would a level four be? <laughs> I mean, I can't think of a mode of travel because airline travel is not a level four. And all there's been very little infection actually via airline travel. Right. But and, you're, uh, you're going to be spending a lot more time without a mask on. Where you know, So the FAA has required that from the moment you walk through the airport doors until you walk back out, you keep that thing on unless you're actively eating. Even on the, on the plane, if you, you have to chew, you have to pull your mask back up to chew, Yeah, which is a bit much in my opinion, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but on a cruise, you're going to be spending a lot more time without the mask on, which we know is effective in slowing the spread. So it's just, I think it's just making sure that people are aware, like, yes, we're, we're, everybody's itching to get back to as close to normal as we can, but know that there is still some risk associated with this. Yeah, and I guess the worst thing that could happen to Carnival would be for an sh- entire ship to be quarantined at this point. And all that would kind of kill the cruise industry back off. And cruise is the best vacation. There is really no better vacation than cruising. And all you don't have to reach for your wallet every time you want something. You're on the boat. You have everything there at your disposal. I mean, cruising is just for me, for my life. Cruising is just the best vacation I can take. I do enjoy a good cruise, but I feel like the that four day cruise is kind of the sweet spot. If you get much longer than that, it becomes a bit. You get a little cabin fever. I don't know. It just, it, I guess it depends on who you are. Yeah. I like to do stuff. <clears throat> yeah. You, you, you can know, only play putt-putt golf so many times on the top deck. The most annoying people to me to vacation with are the people that say, oh, I want to go where the tourists don't go. No. I want to go where the tourists go because they know how to treat tourists. No. I I don't want to go see the slums and I don't want to go see the no, but downtrodden a- and the poor people or... None of that stuff. I want to go where the tourists are. I want to go to the part they want me to see. I enjoy that. I don't need to have that. I don't need to try to embrace the entirety of another culture while I'm on a vacation. See, I do. That's why I travel to far off lands. I don't want to just go to McDonald's in Times Square. Or, you know, the, we were at the, we were at the uh, Trevi Fountain in Rome. And there's a McDonald's, like, right across from it. And there was a line out the door, probably of American tourists. See, I don't need all that. I wanna, no, I, I can understand at, that. I want to eat at the restaurants where they don't speak English. But, you know, when I go on cruises, I only go on the excursions sponsored by the cruises. Right. I don't know what kind of a death wish you have to have to rent a motor scooter in the Bahamas. Oh, man. See, and, I'm... I'm 
I would do that just because I like traveling on two wheels. But, you know, I, I do want to eat. Last time I went to the Bahamas, we we went out and ate at a local restaurant. And I, I enjoyed that sort of thing. I think it comes down to a philosophical difference in our lives. I like to keep everything as simple as possible. And your your life tends to be more... I don't want to say complicated. I guess involved would probably be a better terminology. You go on vacation to relax. And and for you, a vacation is a bit of a selfish endeavor. And I don't mean that in a bad way. But it's all about maximizing your enjoyment, your relaxation for dollar. Absolutely. When I go, if I'm going to go on to go on vacation to somewhere like where the culture is significantly different, part of the enjoyment I get out of that is from learning and experiencing that other culture. Otherwise, I could stay home. I mean, I could take a week off work and stay home and smoke cigars on my back porch and just blow an air horn every once in a while, like we're leaving port, and it'd be the same experience. See, I like to get, I like to go places, but I like to have a controlled environment. I don't want to go nuts with it. Right. I like to have my environment very controlled. But uh, your wife has just arrived with cupcakes, so that's going to shorten the show this week significantly. That works out. (laughs) And I'll, but I don't know. I'm glad that they're reintroducing them. I need to look up the pride and see what kind of a ship it is. And I'm looking forward to going back to Tampa and to getting back out and to doing some traveling and all. But it just amazed me that in this article, that was what they focused on was the COVID thing instead of focusing on the fact that we're finally getting back to cruising. Well, I think considering that a cruise going on quarantine was kind of one of the first watershed moments of the COVID explosion, you know, back 20 months ago, I I think it's worth kind of bookending that it's back, but know that there's some inherent risk here. So rate your DNA. Uh, Six and a half. I love this cigar. It's just a great cigar. You know, so the Don Lino Maduro, it's never going to be my favorite cigar. It's always going to be riding at about a five and a half. It's always going to perform. You know, it sets at about a five and a half for me in my life when I just want that workhorse stick. Yeah. It's kind of that perfect workhorse stick. I get that. And also, how do they get a hold of us? You can reach us at facebook.com slash the cigarcast, Instagram and Twitter at the cigarcast, and email info at the cigarcast.com. Thank you, everybody, for listening this week. Until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us. (laughs) 